1: This is Hardwood Handicappers, VEASAN's premier NBA betting podcast. Here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. What up, folks? Welcome in. It's another edition of Hardwood Handicappers. Jonathan Von Tobel with you here today. All right, we got a lot to get to uh, when it comes to the association. Interesting weekend in the NBA with a lot of news coming down, and that is where we begin, as we usually do when it comes to the headlines around the NBA. Hardwood Headlines. Biggest one, of course, is Kevin Durant. Yep, unfortunately. Uh, Kevin Durant injured. Looks like an MCL sprain uh, for the MVP candidate. He is going to be reevaluated in two weeks. Adrian Wojnarowski with a report that he is expected to miss a month with this MCL sprain. So we'll see if this is actually going to be the case. Uh, Somewhat worrisome, too, because if you guys remember last year, Kevin Durant actually missed six weeks with a left MCL sprain. That was beginning in January. Uh, But, as Wojnarowski reports, confidence that this is a less severe injury that won't sideline him for more than those four weeks. So, we will see if that is going to be the case. There's obviously a lot of ramifications that come from an injury like this. I would say at the forefront of this is, of course, his candidacy as an MVP. Now, I think immediately, because we've seen some adjustments, right? Uh, Circa bumped him all the way down to his odds on to, like, I think it was 30-1. to Uh, Somewhere in that realm, Uh, if you're looking at places like DraftKings and others for MVP, they have not been as dramatic. He's down to 10-1. to I would say that for those who maybe haven't been involved or anything like that, if you're looking for a little bit more of a value grab at MVP, Kevin Durant I don't think, especially if he comes back at the forefront of that timeline, which is more like three-ish, four weeks, I don't think that's enough missed time given his resume that he would be knocked out of contention for the award. Uh, having said that, there's a lot of candidates, and it would be hard to pass some of those guys given how if they can, you know, cons- uh, if they consistently play at the level that they've been playing at to be considered MVP, you know, Luka Doncic, others. So we will see if um, that really knocks him down. I I am one that you know you shouldn't have missed time; shouldn't be a, a very big barometer unless you're missing like you know 35, 40 games for MVP. Then obviously yes, uh, but that might not be the case. For Kevin Durant so again down to 10 to 1 30 to 1 at other shops like circa that's a price where if you're taking your gamble that is worth it not at 10 to 1 right because I said like before he got hurt I have plus 1150 on Kevin Durant so if you're running out there to go get 10 to 1 with KD after he got injured uh, there are uh, there are smarter bets to be made uh, we'll just put it that way um, and as far as the Brooklyn Nets are concerned so I I have this I find this so very interesting when it comes to NBA futures right and there hasn't been a massive change for the Brooklyn Nets in terms of their odds. Uh, for example, you know, they're plus 550 over DraftKings to win this thing. So there hasn't really been a, a massive adjustment in terms of to win the NBA finals. And I think this is a really good example of there should not be any adjustment on the Brooklyn Nets to win the NBA finals. Why? Because we know that Kevin Durant is coming back. It sounds like it's a relatively short timeline, even if it's a month. The probability of the Brooklyn Nets winning an NBA championship only alters if Kevin Durant is not going to play. But it sounds like he is all but guaranteed to come back before the end of the regular season. Heck, there's a chance he comes back before the All-Star break, right? So if that's going to be the case, you would not dramatically adjust your futures books in any way what, you know, shape or form. And I always have this conversation when it comes to, you know, NBA championship futures and why you would adjust due to injury at all. A good example are the Philadelphia 76ers. When the 76ers bottomed out at about 25 to 1, So when I jumped in and bet them. Now they're shorter than 20 to 1. Some spots about 15 or 16 or 17 to 1 to win an NBA championship. So I've never really understood that when you know that guys are coming back from injury at some point, especially in a long season like the NBA, where there's 82 games over the course of nearly, what is it now, what, five months or whatever it is, there would be no real reason to adjust your futures book. And there hasn't really been. Uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. Now, some teams kind of have been bumped up. I know that Sham Sharanya, who is now a you know a gambling guy, I guess, um, you know, d- tweeted out some adjustments for like the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Philadelphia 76ers to win the Eastern Conference. Maybe a move it a couple of cents like from nine to one to 850 on Cleveland and I think that's the adjustment that he had noted. So maybe you do that. Um, but there's no real adjustment there and there's nothing really to jump on from a futures standpoint for the Brooklyn Nets after this. I guess you could say that the one adjustment you do legitimately make, and it goes back to something we talked about last week or I think the week before, which was divisional odds. You know, you could have gotten Brooklyn at like plus 550 to win the Atlantic over at MGM. That, that you adjust, right? Because that is winning the division. That's not winning a championship. That's, you know, a regular season deal, an outcome that can be greatly adjusted if Kevin Durant misses some time. And the Brooklyn Nets will be worse without Kevin Durant. A negative 3.4 net rating. Without Kevin Durant on the floor this year, he has been incredible for their offense. What that offense looks like where now it's just the Kyrie Irving show is, I shouldn't say their sole creator, but it's pretty close to like their sole offensive creator. What that looks like and what they, you know, what shape they start to take as we move forward here without Kevin Durant. Do they become more of a defensive oriented under team without Kevin Durant out there? Nick Claxton Who we talked about by the way last week? I know this. We talked about him for Defensive Player of the Year. He's now nine to one to win that thing over at BetMGM. Remember, we talked about that last week. He was eighty to one to win the award. Claxton's been awesome from a defensive standpoint, as has Ben Simmons. Does that become Russ O'Neill? Does that become more of their identity as we move forward here? Do they become more of an under team uh, without Kevin Durant out there on the floor and putting some more defensive-oriented personnel and lineups uh, out there in his absence? I think that's definitely worth consideration and something worth monitoring. And they've kind of not shifted to being an under team, but the last few games of theirs have kind of gone under the total. And so I think that same thing uh, as this team moves forward without Kevin Durant over the next month, what does that mean for him, or this team I should say, from a uh, play style standpoint? And and their offense might struggle too. If Kyrie Irving's their lone creator, um, that ties into making this team more of a squad that'll trend under as opposed to a high scoring team that might trend a little bit over. So we will see if that is going to be the case. That is at least my initial thought here um, as we evaluate Brooklyn without him. And I will say their schedule going forward really isn't that bad. Uh, They do have a home game against Boston coming up on Thursday. But then after that, you're talking about Oklahoma City, San Antonio, Phoenix, Utah, and Golden State. That's all part of a road trip, Save for the Oklahoma City game. um, That ends in Philadelphia on January 25th. Then they come back home. They get the Pistons, the Knicks, the Lakers. Uh, before heading back out at the beginning of February, and that's close to a month, so we'll see where Kevin Durant is at this point. But it's not the worst thing in the world from a schedule standpoint without Kevin Durant in terms of level of opponent that they're going to face. So I think the Brooklyn Nets will be just fine. I think from a future standpoint, you're not rushing to bet them because there hasn't been any notable adjustments, and there shouldn't be from a future standpoint. And maybe if you see some books really alter their division odds on them, right, Maybe that is worth it if you can still get that plus 550 price tag just given the schedule and if they're going to play an adequate level of basketball, but that's something that has yet to we have yet to see, and we'll get uh, some questions answered when they meet the Boston Celtics on January twelfth and that'll be a very fun game, an interesting game because Boston, as we know, has been playing some pretty average basketball over the last month and a week, so what is that Five weeks or something like that uh so that's the first headline that comes out of the weekend, Uh, the second, and they both tie into the Los Angeles Lakers, so the second and the third. Anthony Davis allegedly ramping up his rehab and working on a return to basketball. This came down a couple of days ago. Uh, Dave McMenamin had this. Uh, As he puts it in his report, the pain in Anthony Davis' right foot continues to subside and the Los Angeles Lakers star plans to begin the ramp-up process to return to play when the team returns to L.A. this week. So that was uh, on Monday. Davis, of course, has missed the last 13 games for the Los Angeles Lakers. It was a bone spur fractured off of the navicular bone in his right foot, the uh, official diagnosis for the injury. And the Lakers, outside of that loss to Denver, in which uh, the the king, LeBron James, sat out because of some soreness, Lakers have been playing pretty well. That loss snapped a five-game winning streak. They had won six out of seven games before losing to the Denver Nuggets without LeBron James. So they're fighting their way into play-in contention the Los Angeles Lakers are, and with Anthony Davis is going to make his way back, um, finding your way into the top 10 I don't think should be a problem for Los Angeles. <laughs> I don't think it should. I, I laugh. I mean, look, there, even with when Anthony Davis is going to be out there, it's pretty clear what this team is, and there are certain teams I think they match up well against, and they're always going to be a problem for, right? The size of LeBron James and Anthony Davis is always going to be a problem. They're a solid transition team offensively. They like to get up and down the floor. So certain teams that are a little bit bigger, slower have issues guarding in transition, the nuggets. um, They're going to have some trouble with them in certain matchups. And they're a team that attacks the paint a lot, right? Within four feet of the basket, they lead the league in frequency of shot attempts. They're a solid shooting team at the rim. We know that they're not great at shooting the ball overall, and they'll probably be in the market potentially for some cheap shooting at the trade deadline, which we'll talk about momentarily. Do I think that with Anthony Davis coming back, this team's a championship contender? No. Um, But do I think, like, the bet that I made before the season started, will the Lakers make the playoffs? I mean, that's a little bit of a sweat now, just given the way that uh, they've been playing and with LeBron James getting his running mate back. And speaking of LeBron James, so it kind of ties into what the theme of the show is going to be because I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the awards. The NBA Midseason Media Survey is out, so we'll talk about that because it doesn't reflect what we have seen in the market so far, some of these awards, a couple of them. Um We have a market that's a little off uh, like The market that I have said is mispriced this entire time. It does seem that I was right. We'll get to that, though, later. Um, But it ties into what LeBron James, of course, in the headlines. And this isn't really a betting thing. I just find this funny that I wanted to hit on. Uh, For those who did not see it, LeBron James did speak out on the frustrations of not trading for guys. Um, And this was, I think, Sam Amick of The Athletic who had this. It was when they were in Sacramento. Apparently, he got to uh, hang out with LeBron James and heard him talk. And the quote that everybody has harped on and grabbed was at the end, apparently, of the interview. And I'll just read this um, to you guys, and you can get, you can get it. Because you want the full context, okay? Um, How's your patience uh, level? Asked by Amick. Is that aspect of this situation, you know, not trading uh, assets to go and get guys, tugging at you? LeBron, they're doing what they feel is best for the franchise. Amick, how do you feel about that? LeBron, I'm doing what's best for my guys in the locker room, that's all I can worry about. I'll let y'all, a brief pause as he walks away, and one final unmistakable comment that was shouted from nearly 20 feet away. Y'all know what the f*** should be happening. I don't need to talk. So that's LeBron James making comments to Amick. Again, there's no betting tie here. I just think it's hilarious that LeBron is now doing this thing like he has, um... No blame in where the organization is at here. And I keep seeing everybody throw like, they have more picks? Yes, I get it. Like, yes, they have more picks. It's not the point. I think the point that's always lost with the Los Angeles Lakers, it's not even so much about the picks. It's they don't really have that much to offer outside of the picks that they have to offer, Even even outside of the two, right? The first round picks and the other picks that they have available to them, okay? What are they going to get that is going to allow them to beat the teams in front of them in a best of seven series? So we're seeing like, I I think Cam Reddish has been thrown out there for them, uh, other players on that level. If they go and get a Cam Reddish type, that is not pushing you over the top as a team to win a championship. I think that's always been the point that is lost when it comes to the Los Angeles Lakers. Yes, they have more assets available to them than is widely reported. But what are those assets getting you? Are they getting you a player or a – yes, are they getting you a player, multiple players – that are going to make you a championship contender, that are going to push you past a fully healthy Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors in a best-of-seven, that are going to allow you to beat Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks in a best-of-seven, that would allow you to take down the, the Memphis Grizzlies and John Morant in that defense with Jaron Jackson Jr. and others in a best-of-seven series. We'll even throw the Los Angeles Clippers in there who have, have had, they have had a lot of trouble with over the last couple of years. Does that push you past the Los Angeles Clippers in a best-of-seven series? Should it get to that for them? No, I don't think it does. So it's not just about, hey, they have more assets. They need to go. It's it's about not shipping those off for minimal returns. And the returns would be minimal if that is going to be the case. So just throw that out there. We'll see if they actually go and they acquire somebody at the deadline. Again, I would not expect that it is a future-altering move. But, and this ties in nicely to what we're going to talk about, as we know with the betting market in the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, logic is not really what drives... Um, the Los Angeles Lakers and the betters when it comes to that and, Really pushing the market. We'll talk about that coming up momentarily. Before we take a break, a reminder that if you're looking for a betting edge on football as a big game, the VEASAN experts got you covered. Become a VEASAN Pro subscriber with an introductory offer only $9.99. VEASAN Pro subscribers get access to our daily recap of the top plays made by VEASAN show hosts and guests. Tools like our betting splits that let you see where the money and bets are moving every game. Deep dive betting reports, VEASAN betting guides for the biggest games of the season where experts break down brackets, best bets, and all the big game props. Don't miss out on this limited-time offer. Visit vsin.com slash subscribe today to sign up for only nine ninety nine. and become part of the Sports Betting Network. It's vsin.com slash subscribe. All right, we'll take our break here. On the other side, uh, let's talk about the Lakers' influence on the betting market. It's funny, I just got into this conversation the other day on social media, and I've said it before on this um, this podcast, which is there is an award market out there that I think is completely mispriced and is driven by liability, and we got an insight, at least a little bit, as to what some of the people who will decide these awards think. And it turns out I was right. Here are three reasons Zinn is America's number one nicotine pouch.
0: We use food-grade ingredients. We have a wide selection of varieties. And they all come in two strengths. Find Zinn at a store near you. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical.
1: All right, welcome back. Harvard with Cappers here on this Tuesday. So there's a lot to get to, a lot to get to. Uh, let's start with uh, what we kind of tease going out there, which is uh, the awards markets. I know we love them all. And, and I think this year is pretty fascinating, more fascinating than others, because we have some awards that really are wide open. And I think um, some that the market doesn't really gauge or understand uh, how this is really divvied up at this point right now, in terms of guys who actually have the resume, to win the awards. So let's start with what I was referring to here. So six man of the year has been a market that we've hit on a couple of times here. I do have um, a ticket in this market. I've got Norm Powell to win this award. Uh, I think it's 33 to one, something like that. I'll have to go back and double check. But the favorite right now to win six man of the year is Russell Westbrook. And not only is he the favorite, he has now shifted to being the odds on favorite at minus 130 over at DraftKings to win this award. The odds on favorite. To win sixth man of the year. So, why does this matter? Well, first off, let's talk about being an odds on favorite. For those who don't know, odds on means you have a minus sign next to your name. Just because you are the favorite in an index prop, but you still have a plus price next to you, that means you're not the odds on. Okay. Odds on means you have a better than 50% chance of winning. So, with that, at minus 130, we're talking about a 56.5% chance that Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook, excuse me, win this wins this award. But then you go to NBA.com and you click on their NBA midseason media survey. Remember, media members, they're the ones that decide this award, right? So let's scroll down. Let's see. I'm going to scroll down here. I'll scroll down. Oh, look, awards. Okay. All right, let's go to the Sixth Man of the Year award. So according to the media, who is on track to win the Kia Sixth Man of the Year award? Okay, let's see. Uh first place. Jordan Poole, Golden State Warriors, 33%. Okay, well, uh, it makes some sense. Jordan Poole right now is the oh, he's the third choice in the betting market to win this thing. Hmm. Interesting. All right, well, it's not that too far off. Let, let's keep going. Second, Malcolm Brogdon, 23% of media members think that, you know, reign in the second. All right, that makes sense. He's the second choice on the betting board. Third, Russell Westbrook, right? No. Tied for third are two players, Benedict Matherin of Indiana and Christian Wood of the Dallas Mavericks. Shout out UNLV's own Christian Wood. For those who don't know, there's a big thing in When I worked in local radio and Christian Wood left and he was laughed at and mocked when he didn't get drafted by fans out here in Las Vegas. And I'm a big Christian Wood fan because it's cool to see guys push through adversity and actually make something of themselves. And that's what Christian Wood has done. So that's why I laughed. Um, But you'll notice that I did not read off Russell Westbrook's name. Now, he's part of the also receiving votes category. That would be him, Malik Monk, Norm Powell, and Bobby Portis. My point here is this. When you look, because we have, I think the we, like the collective, we have like this habit of looking at the betting market as this pristine thing, that that means that that's going to happen, right? No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. And when you look at something like awards, which are voted on, months ahead of time, there is no way that the betting market would be predictive of anything when it comes to six man of the year. Yes, yes. You can gauge these guys winning this award because you can look at their stats and whatnot, and you can get an idea, blah, 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 blah. Yes, that's fine. And Russell Westbrook this season, in terms of his statistical returns, have been fine. Uh, 15.1 points per game, 6.4 rebounds per game, 7.9 assists per game. Uh, he's been absolutely great. Uh, when he is coming off of the uh, – excuse me, as a starter, You know his numbers weren't that great. Coming off of the bench, he's been absolutely tremendous. It's been great, been fantastic. He's been much better than what he was at the beginning of the season. The problem is, is that when you're looking at this from like an actual statistical standpoint, well, those numbers are great. He's still shooting 41% from the floor. So he is wildly inefficient still as a scorer and shooting 28% from three on four three-point attempts per game. So he's not shooting the ball well from distance. He's only shooting 67% from the free throw line. Russell Westbrook is. So in terms of efficiency this year still is Russell Westbrook, exactly what you expected, right? He has not been performing well in any way, shape, or form. And yes, while he has contributed positively to his team, when he's on the floor, he improves their net rating by 1.7 points per 100 possessions. He is still a very poor defender, and he's been a poor defender. Like, I'm just saying, again, as we're talking about the way the market is priced, and we have now a glimpse into what the media is thinking, the betting market is telling you, Oh, he's the odds-on favorite. He's got a 54% chance of winning this thing. When the people that are deciding this vote are telling you he's not even in the top four. So what are we doing with this betting market, right? So it would tell you, you know, wherever you think the value is. I mean, right now, I would say Jordan Poole, who I don't think has performed very well, but still is at the front eyes of the media, is very much worth it. Added Christian Wood myself the other day at 101 to win 6th man of the year. William Hill had a missed price because they had him off. And Maxi Kleba is going to come back here in two or three weeks and push him back to the bench. He's going to be a great 6th man of the year candidate. Second leading scorer for the Dallas Mavericks, if that's going to be the case. Bobby Portis, a double-double machine for a bench player and who has been helping out a team that has been shorthanded and inconsistent with its players' availability, namely Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. My whole point here is that don't look at futures markets and think, especially when it comes to awards, that that's an indication of something that's going to happen. Because it's not. There's no way that you can accurately predict what player, what people are going to vote on. And now we have a glimpse into what these play, these these voters are looking at here. Again, it's only January. But the betting market is still telling you, oh no, Russell Westbrook odds on favor to win this thing. It makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. So keep that in mind and file that away. But as we've discussed here, and now we have some proof to the fact, the six-man-of-the-year market is priced on liability. It is not priced by reality because the reality is, is that Russell Westbrook does not deserve to be the odds-on favorite to win this award. Just isn't. So thought that was very much worth mentioning. Also worth noting a couple of things. Shout-out to Mitch Moss. I'm sure he's happy to see this. Uh, who is on track to and Kia Defensive Player of the Year? Brooke Lopez, 37% media members voted for him. Jaron Jackson Jr., second. Jarrett Allen, third. 10%, but still third. Others being considered, OG Ananobi, Joel Embiid, Bam Adebayo, Dylan Brooks of the Memphis Grizzlies. I, I, think, that's, I, mean, I think Dylan Brooks is an awesome defender. Uh, I wouldn't really understand. I mean, that might be a media, a, uh, a Memphis media member voting for him, but still pretty impressive. And Draymond Green of Golden State. The other thing that sticks out when you're looking at this again, like who's on track to win the award, whatever it is, and you're looking at like MVP and others, uh, Coach of the Year, Jacques Vaughn, 43% of the vote there. Jacques Vaughn, again, according to media members, who is on track to win coach of the year. Willie Green second. Joe Missoula also tied for second at 23%. So others receiving votes, Mike Brown, Rick Carlisle, J.B. Bickerstaff, but those are the top three names, Jacques Vaughn, Willie Green, and Joe Missoula. So I mentioned we're going to talk a little bit about the trade deadline. There's a couple of teams that have been thrown out there, and I just want to say because, and I wanted to bring this up, one, because we're a month away from the trade deadline. And two, I always get after the trade deadline, right? When I'm asked the the questions, when I go do the circuit on v and everybody's talking about the trade deadline, whatever it is. It is always, now that the trades have happened, where's the value? And it's like, well, no, we're asking the wrong question, right? Because you're asking, where's the value? After the moves have been made and after the adjustments have been made. So I'm always very boring at trade deadline time when I'm asked to go on the network because a lot of people are always asking the wrong questions at the wrong time. You, You don't want to... At the trade deadline, after all the moves are made, hunt for value. Because, sure, theoretically, if Team X acquires a player and I believe that the books have not adjusted enough on their odds to win a title, then yeah, sure, maybe you can make that argument. We're talking maybe one or two, maybe one or 2%, right? When it comes to some of these teams winning these awards. And even then, or winning these awards, uh, winning a title, right? So, even if we're talking, like, we'll give you an example. Uh, no, that's not a that's not a good enough example. Uh, let's see. Hold on, hold on. I always got to mess my percentages up. All right, so let's say let's say the books adjust on the this is just an example. Let's say the books adjust on the Brooklyn Nets after a trade deadline acquisition, and they go to let's say like uh, hold, on, hold on, I want to get this because these are some weird numbers here. All right, so let's get let's say they go from seven to one to or they go to seven to one on a guy, right? Or the, the Brooklyn Nets. Sorry, I know I'm stumbling, but I'm I'm. Crunching this out really quickly. Okay, so let's say, and this again, I know it's not representative of the actual odds, but I'm just giving an exercise as to why I think the way that I do. So let's say after a trade deadline, the Nets go to seven to one. Okay, but I think that the Nets are actually, you know, I don't think they're seventeen or seven to one. I think they're more like, you know, thirteen point five percent. I think they're like plus six forty to win a title. Like, okay, like sure, maybe there's value in, you know, seven to one on a team that I think is plus six fifty. But, like, there's not that much that you can really jump on. So, again, I'm just talking of when – we're talking trade deadline. The analysis should come probably about now, right? We're going to try to find the teams that are either going to look to buy or we're going to look for teams that are looking to sell. And one of the teams that keeps popping up as a potential seller is the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors, who are not really playing great basketball, got a win over the Portland Trailblazers on Sunday and have been really inconsistent – they're, they're, they've are they're been thrown out as a potential seller, and Tim Bontemps wrote a great piece on it the other day, just to say essentially about what the situation they face is. And if you look around, like, they do have the pieces, right? Fred Van Vliet, who, I mean, you'd be selling at the bottom of the market because he's not playing that well this year, but Fred Van Vliet would be in addition. He's got a player option for next year that you would think he more than likely is going to cash into because he's not playing that well and he doesn't want to hit the market um, at a watered-down price because he's not, he's going to lose some money on that, so maybe that makes him a little bit less attractive, but it doesn't mean you can't ship a month. It just means that you're not going to get what you once could have gotten for Fred Van VanVleet. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. According to Mark Stein, has uh, expected or is expected to be available. Great Gary Trent Jr. is awesome, averaging about 18 points per game. Good shooter, good scorer. A lot of teams could probably use a piece like Gary Trent Jr. So the question that becomes is: Are the Toronto Raptors going to sell the other names? Right? OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam. I don't think Scotty Barnes, but you know maybe who knows? The crazier things have happened in the NBA. Are they going to sell to the point where, as you look at the futures market now, and you say, because it's always about, hey, can we bet this team to win the NBA Finals? Well, let's start to find other ways to attack the trade deadline. Do we bet the Toronto Raptors now, under their win total of 39.5? That's their adjusted win total over at DraftKings. You're only laying minus 125. DLA a buck 85 on the no for them to make the playoffs? Because what if Fred Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. are gone? Now, those aren't, like, massively impactful players, but I would say... On a Toronto team that's not wildly deep, if you're gonna essentially ship off your starting backcourt, that's a pretty big disc, it's a pretty big um, uh, downgrade. There we go. I'm looking for the wrong D word. That's a pretty big downgrade for the Toronto Raptors, a team that's already kind of playing pretty poorly. So now, as you're attacking it from that perspective, is their value now. In betting on the Toronto Raptors to not make it to the playoffs, to go under their adjusted win total, because they might be sellers at the deadline, and they might ship off guys like Fred Van Vliet, they might ship off guys like Gary Trent Jr., and on top of that, if they do ship those two guys off, a team that has had a wild amount of injury concerns with a lot of their players... Do they all of a sudden start resting guys down the stretch when the playoffs are not in sight because they have sold off their starting backcourt and they want to maximize their draft position so maybe they can go and get something in this NBA draft this year? So again, I think this is, the, this is the mindset I think we're attacking this with when it comes to the NBA trade deadline. The same could be said for the Chicago Bulls, right? The Chicago Bulls are a team that right now, like they're playing middling basketball. They've been covering some numbers and they covered against the Celtics the other day, but they still lost... They're a team that themselves kind of in the similar range of the Toronto Raptors. Suggested win total of 39 and a half uh, to make the playoffs. The Chicago Bulls uh, right now, you are laying 225 as opposed to the 185 price tag on Toronto. You know, Toronto has a little bit more market respect at this point right now. But Chicago is interesting because Chicago could be a potential seller. DeMar DeRozan's value has increased. He's been absolutely tremendous. Zach Levine, maybe one of those pieces that could get shipped off here as well. Again, you're just throwing things out there, but do you blow this thing up now? Do you try to get something for Nikola Vucevic, who has not played very well at all, that you gave up some assets for? Like I, They are thrown out as a team that could potentially do that. Or here's the other interesting part about Chicago. Are they, are they playing good basketball at the wrong time? I think this is an article written, I want to say it was The Athletic or NBC Chicago. Um, But regardless, the whole premise of the article was, are they playing better basketball at the wrong time because they're going to buy into themselves and think they're much better than they really are and actually look to acquire pieces at the trade deadline? So maybe you can, I don't know, bet them over 39 and a half, right, over their win total because they might go acquire some pieces because they have fooled themselves into thinking they're a much better team. So, again, and this isn't, like, I'm not going to solidly recommend any of these. To be honest with you, the one that I do like the most is maybe looking at Toronto Under. I think we know that Gary Trent Jr. is gone. There's a pretty good chance Red Van Vliet has gone. And I think that is something I would look at. But when it comes to Chicago, I think you have to consider all the possibilities and really keep in mind, like, really start reading a lot of these articles and try to get information. Because the value to find in the market right now when it comes to the trade deadline, it's now. It is not after the deals are made. It is now. I can't, like, harp on that enough. The other team, and I think this is a really interesting one. And reading some reports, they have a ton of assets, a ton of assets. And it's not like they would go and get like go crazy. But having said that, let me make sure I have this right. I want to see if it's even listed. See, in some spots, they don't even have it listed. And this is the part that's really frustrating. So let's go to, okay. They at least have a win total, and we can get them to participate in the play in. Let's see. Okay. Are the Oklahoma City Thunder going to find themselves as buyers as we get closer to the trade deadline? A team that has a massive a massive amount of assets. A team that is, right now, one and a half games back from the 10th seed in the Western Conference, that has one of the best scorers in the NBA, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, has one of the best on-ball defenders in the NBA in Lugan Stort. The Oklahoma City Thunder's adjusted win total is 31 and a half. You're laying a small price there. Double check. I think it's minus one thirty. Uh, let's see. Get that in front of me. Shouldn't I? minus one thirty-five. But the better bet, I think, if you're if you're somewhere that you can find, and I think this is worth it at this point right now to participate in the West Play-in. That means just make the top ten. You can get the Oklahoma City Thunder at ten to one to participate in the West Play-in. That is something that I think is worth taking as a better. Because I do think they're a sneaky buy candidate. And it's not like they're gonna go and buy like somebody incredible, right? They're not gonna break the bank to go get it. But are they gonna go get a role player, some size, because they're a really undersized team? Are they gonna get somebody up front, maybe buy them, get them in there, and of course just make that push to get into the play in, to get a young team some really good experience in a high leverage situation that they have not experienced yet? I think that's very much worth it. And when you're talking about ten to one on a team that could be a sneaky buy candidate that has a player whose window, frankly, doesn't really jive with the team and maybe they try to accelerate this a little bit and they would barely have to dip into the asset pool that they have. It has been thrown out there that the Thunder might be sneaky buy candidates at the trade deadline, and I would not say no to that in any way, shape, or form when it comes to investing in them to, again, just make the play in. And then the last two teams I think that are worth, again, talking about here, I've invested in the Clippers a couple of times at different prices, so it's not like I'm going to roll out there to get ten to one. But I've got some better numbers on them. But look out for the LA teams, Clippers and Lakers, as we kind of discussed the Lakers already. They could be some buy candidates. I think it was, um, I think it was Jared Vanderbilt that the Clippers were um, throwing around as to be uh, like sniffing around, sniffing around. I should say uh, that could be it, uh, or a couple of other pieces um, that the Jazz might have that they're worth shipping off. So we'll see if that's going to be the case. But regardless, Clippers might be a sneaky buy candidate as well. Not anything, again, not anything massive, uh, but another wing, another 3 and D type player that would fit a little bit more. Robert Covington has kind of been ousted out of the lineup and has been playing a little bit more because of injury, but might need another 3 and D guy, especially with Nick Batum dealing with some injuries and looking a little old and and just injury history for this team overall. If Paul George or Kawhi Leonard are not going to be consistently available, a 3 and D do would work pretty well for that team. Oh, maybe another center too, because Ivica Zubac is their only center at this point right now. And man, they play the, they play the Mavericks later tonight. I cannot wait to see Luka Doncic pick on Ivica Zubac uh, yet again. God, Luka Doncic absolutely kills the Clippers. I think he's averaging something like thirty eight, nine, and eight on forty seven percent shooting against them in his career. Absolutely insane. All right, that does it for um, early ep- early episode of Harbin Handicappers. Uh, issues with Kelly at the end of last week, and on my end as well, mostly my end. Uh, So we didn't get the episode up with Kelly. We're going to have Kelly back on, of course, this Thursday. That is 100% confirmed. And I'd also like to say, uh, for those who have made it this far, um, Wednesday, I'll be back on the NBA BetCast. I don't know what the game is yet. So for those who are uh, interested or got to see it, I'll be in on the second quarter of a game that has yet to be named, or at least to me. So I'll tell you what that is. Until then, like, rate, review, subscribe, and we will talk to you in a couple of days with Kelly Bidlin here on Hardwood Handicappers.